That was good. I'm sorry. I, you caught me in the back and the teeth but worse, and it's just now I've got to get up and be coherent. I'm sorry. Let's pray again. Sometimes we just need Jesus' help for this stuff. Father, we do delight that You are a God who is beautiful, who is wonderful, and who is powerful. And as we come to Your Word this morning, we admit our need for You. We admit our need because we, we delight that You accept us just as we are. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But we also delight that You don't leave us there. And that you always are calling us higher up and deeper into the love of Jesus, that our lives would evermore reflect his glory, his beauty, his power. So, in this time, Lord, we submit ourselves to your word as an act of worship. We acknowledge its worth because we acknowledge your worth. So, change us, O oh God. And if that means right now, as we experience Your Word, do it. And if that's just part of this longer-term submission to who You are, may it be so in our lives. May it be true that we are always growing because of Your Spirit at work in us, shaping us, transforming us, that our whole lives would be worshipped. We love You. In Jesus' precious, beautiful, wonderful, powerful name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Remember your first bicycle? <clears throat> Remember getting your first bicycle? Maybe some of you it was just already there, but for some of us it was kind of a big deal getting our first bicycle. For some of us it was like that thing we were waiting for, that thing we were hoping for against hope. You, you knew that someday that great key to freedom was coming your way. And oh glorious day, you got a bike. Amazing things. Bicycles. But, do you remember two or three years after that day? Two or three years after the day you got the bicycle. And it's great and everything, but the novelty sometimes kind of wears off a little bit. And by now you've realized that this bike is great, but there are actually hills out there. And using your bicycle on the hills takes a lot of work. Mm. While the freedom is great, it's hard work. Or, or by now, especially if you grew up in Gloucester, you've discovered these things called potholes out there. And while the freedom is great, your friend Phil actually disappeared into a pothole and you haven't seen him since. It doesn't take long for something new and exciting to sit forgotten against the shed around the back of the house. Amazing things become, well, they become less amazing. Not because there's anything less amazing about them, but because we allow them to become less amazing. And it doesn't change as we get older. Just the cost of amazing things increases. I remember getting our first minivan First thought, total embarrassment, abject suburban nightmare. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah, I see that hand. And then, the day comes where you actually put all of your kids into it and all of your luggage for the trip to Canada and suddenly realize this thing is like a gift from God. And I remember when Joe and I bought it, we, we prayed over it in the dealer's lot, offering it back to the Lord. Um, we said, Lord, we'll even let the youth center use it. We're so grateful. Yet, pretty soon we were taking it for granted, right? Forgetting to wash it, forgetting to change the oil. And it turns out there are hills out there. 
And that thing guzzles some serious gas getting up those hills. And it's expensive. Freedom is great, but it's expensive. And there are still potholes out there. And front-end alignments are also expensive. And tie rod ends on Dodge Grand Caravans, notoriously, they break all the time. And it loses that, that je ne sais quoi, that new car smell, right? And by the end, it smelled like uh, multiple days old lunch meat combined with the sweaty boy after soccer practice mixed with the fragrance of the dead bird Joanna hit somewhere lodged in the grill that we couldn't find. In the end, Youth Center didn't even want our van. They now take a bus when they go places, and I'm pretty sure it's our fault. It took weeks to get that thing back into shape. It took weeks to get it cleaned and to, to restore it and to get the dead bird out of the grill somewhere and, and to get it to a place where we remembered this is actually a gift from God. Underneath all of our neglect, there was something still of tremendous value and beauty. We'd just forgotten to see it that way. One more example. I remember when I first met Jesus. I mean, for real. Like that moment where He shows up and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is real and that He loves you and that He's died for you and He wants you to know Him and enjoy life now and forever with the God who created you. I remember that. It was up at uh, InterVarsity's Pioneer Camp, Ontario. And I'm down by the lake at one of those places where the, sort of the veil between worlds grows thin. And I came back from camp fired up for the Lord. And I was hungry, right, to read His Word, to study and to obey everything I saw in there. And that was a long time ago. It was like almost 30 years ago. And since then, I've discovered there are hills out there. And following Jesus takes a lot of effort. And you know, there are potholes out there too. And I've hit a few of them. And I think my friend Phil disappeared into one and I haven't seen him since. My question for you this morning, are you amazed with Jesus are you amazed with Jesus or has he become less amazing to you over time not because Jesus is any less amazing but we like novelty we like new we like bright and we like shiny and you don't have to follow Jesus very long to realize life is not always bright or shiny or novel but that doesn't make Jesus any less amazing. We just forget that He is. And we leave Him leaning against the shed around the back of the house or sitting in the driveway rusting with broken tie rod ends. Have you lost your sense of amazement at Jesus? Have you encountered hills? Have you hit the potholes? Have the Scriptures lost that new car smell? The Lord has a word for you this morning. And it's the first pass at a text that we're going to be looking at for the next three weeks. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 6. We're looking at only the first six verses. If you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles, you can turn to page 816.
Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 is the entire text that we are going to be studying for the next three weeks. I invite you to follow along with me as I read, starting at verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Our text this morning is an invitation to be amazed at Jesus. And while there's six verses here that are on our docket in terms of what we're supposed to be covering, really, we're just going to look at the first two verses this morning. We'll take the second two verses next week, and then the week after that, we'll hit the last two verses. This morning, we are just going to focus on these two verses. And we see Jesus left. We went to this hometown. That would be Nazareth, accompanied by his disciples. The Sabbath comes. He begins to teach in the synagogue. And here it is. Many who heard him were dead flabbergasted they were amazed they were amazed this is what the scripture says and what i want to find out this morning is just what's so amazing about this jesus guy what is so amazing about jesus i know what it might be it might be where he comes from it might be his, no it's not it's really not his hometown at all I don't know if you've been in the text at all before, but Nazareth is not the incredible metropolis where things happen. Jesus of Nazareth. You know, Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament. Not worth it. It's mentioned in the Gospels only a dozen or so times. And it's usually because Jesus was born there. No, He wasn't. He was born in Bethlehem. It's because Jesus went back and lived there. My apologies. But then it doesn't show up in the literature again for like 200 years and it's some obscure African theologian who writes about Nazareth. There wasn't even a church there. I mean, people built churches to commemorate sites where Jesus did amazing things. All over the, no church there until like Constantine finally showed up and was like, you should probably have a church here. It was some super obscure hamlet of roughly hewn houses and like homes built by digging into the rocky hillsides. It's today's equivalent of small-town America. A tiny rural town, population 500, and one grumpy old man. Right? It's, it's like the town of Clay, West Virginia. It's, it's, where is that? Nobody knows. It's off the beaten track. Jesus is the small-town boy who's making it big. Right? He's going around, he's doing amazing things, he's becoming quite the itinerant speaker. And that's kind of a thing rabbis used to do. Uh, they used to wander around from town to town and they would go and they would speak in the synagogues. So it's not weird that Jesus, small town boy, coming back to his hometown, and they're like, hey, Jesus is here. Hey, we should have him speak at the synagogue. Yeah, Jesus, go on, come on up here. 
But there's nothing about where Jesus comes from that sets Him apart, that makes Him amazing. So when we come to our text and we say, oh great, Jesus left there. He went back to His hometown. Hey, accompanied by His disciples, the Sabbath came. They invite Him to teach at the synagogue. And it says many who heard Him were amazed. What is so amazing about Jesus? Now, the word amazing I like a lot. Uh, the Bible's actually full of this word. And the Gospels are full of this word. And it, it carries, there's three or four different Greek words that are used. They're all translated amazing. That totally bums me out. There's such nuance. You could use so many great words for amazing. Uh, so you have to look it up in the, in the Greek lexicons and stuff. It could be to astound or to overwhelm. I like that. To cause, to wonder at, to marvel at, to astonish. Oh, that's a good one. To cause someone to be extraordinarily impressed or disturbed by something. Well, there's some nuance we hadn't seen before. But my favorite is, is in this first one. Literally, to strike out of one's senses. TKO. Like, knock it. You're, you're, you know that expression, you were knocked off your feet. That, that's where it comes from. It's in the Bible. And it happens again and again, pretty much whenever Jesus opens his mouth. Just a quick survey through some of the Gospels. Luke chapter 4, he goes down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, guess what? He's teaching the people. And they were amazed at his teaching. They were knocked off their feet because his words had authority. Or you go across to Matthew, and he'd finish saying these things. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not like their teachers of the law. Or you go to later in Matthew, he says to them, you know, Jesus has these enigmatic sayings and these incredible wise sayings. They're talking about taxes and whether they should pay taxes. Give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, to God's what is God's. And they heard this, they were amazed and they left him and went away. Or in John's Gospel, halfway through this festival in Jerusalem, Jesus goes to the temple courts, begins to preach, and the Jews there were amazed. And asked, how did this man get such learning without being taught? So by the time we're in our text, if we're familiar with the Gospels at all, it doesn't surprise us that many who heard him, many who heard him were amazed. The problem is we hear him a lot. And the problem is we stop being amazed. And so in, in many ways, uh, over the last, I guess, six weeks that we've been in our teaching series, we've taken each text... And we've sort of said, let's view this text through the different lens, through the lenses of the different characters that are in this text. So this morning, we're looking at it from the many who heard him. That's our viewpoint today. Many who heard him, and they were amazed. So what was so amazing about Jesus in this particular? There's a lot that's amazing about Jesus, and you would be here a long time if I tried to just lay it all out for you. But there's a harvest party to get to. So we're going to limit our discussion of the amazing, Je the amazing Jesus. That sounds like a circus. We're going to limit our discussion of what makes Jesus so amazing to just what it says in this text. Just what is inferred in this text. Because there are three questions that the people ask, that the many who were there who were amazed, they ask three questions to start off with. It does take a turn. We'll take the turn next week. This week, we're going to start with the three questions they ask. And that's all here in verse 2. 
Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? And what are these remarkable miracles he's performing? And we're going to take him in reverse order because I feel like it. First question. What are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? And this we've seen again and again. Even just so far in our study of the Gospel of Mark this fall. Jesus has power. And it's power unlike anything the world has ever seen. And He continues to amaze people with His power. He's casting out demons throughout the Gospel. We're only in chapter 6 and He's already kicked demons out all over the place. He's healing people. right? Peter's mother-in-law, the leprous man, the guy with a withered hand, even on the Sabbath He did that one. Uh, a paralyzed roofing expert. A woman with an issue of blood. And then, leading up to our text this morning, the grand trifecta. right? Uh, he calms the wind and the storm. Showing he's got power over all creation. He cast out the legion of demons, saying he's got power over the whole spiritual world. And just before our text, he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, proving that Jesus has power over death itself. Jesus is kicking butt and taking names, and his power is on full display for all to see. Jesus is not normal, he's extraordinary. He's doing amazing things, and people are seeing them and saying, What are the. What does this mean? But I think that's actually that leads us to the next question. Because the great displays of power leave us asking questions, what does this mean then? It's one thing to see this incredible power of Jesus on display, but we need Jesus to interpret that for us to help us understand what the significance of this power is. So if we go back to the text... It's not just about what these remarkable miracles are that he's performing. Let's, let's get a little closer to what's going on here. Let's look at the second question. What is this wisdom that has been given him? What is this wisdom that has been given him? And I think this is where we're starting to get a little bit closer because over and over again, we just saw as we jumped through all the Gospels, people are amazed at Jesus' teaching. And the bummer in the Gospel of Mark is that he records so little of it. I mean, we've got Jesus arguing with the Pharisees quite a bit of Mark, so we've got some of that going on. And he tells some parables, so I get that's teaching, even though it's kind of obscure. But we get very few like extended monologues where Jesus just teaches in the Gospel of Mark. Which is why I'm really glad we have Matthew, Luke, and John, because there's all kinds of good stuff in the rest of the Gospels. And yet, over 30 years of following Jesus, I've kind of heard it all before. Have you? I mean, it's just, of course it's amazing, but I've, I've heard it, and I've heard it preached, and I've studied it in my small group, and, and sometimes it loses its pizzazz, its sparkle, its luster, because it's too familiar. And sometimes I'm tempted to set it aside against the back shed and leave it there for a little while. Jesus and His teaching is amazing. And we forget. I, I, I sometimes wish, you know, when Advent comes and I tell stories, I, get into, I try and imagine what it was like to actually be present for some of this. Can you imagine being present the first time 
you heard Jesus speaking like this. Like that, let's say Sermon on the Mount type stuff. You're, you're part of the gathered crowds on the hillside. And you hear Jesus say something like, you've heard it said. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And everyone around you goes, mm-hmm, yes, yes, we've heard that said. That's how we roll. Yes. Go Jesus. You're awesome. But I tell you, Jesus continues, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. Wait, what? What did Jesus just say? And I hope he gave them some time to process a little bit. Because the next verse just comes, right, in the Bible. Like it just goes on to the next verse. But he just said, let your enemy smack you in the face. What does that mean? What does that say about our posture towards those who have hurt us? What does that say towards our posture towards those who are against us? What does that say whether they're against us unintentionally or intentionally? Jesus just turned the whole world upside down. But we already hit that last month in Bible study. How do we... Or when Jesus says, love, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy and the crowds go, yeah... Love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. And Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute. What? what do you, that, that's completely upside down, Jesus. Yeah, it is. Because our world is upside down and Jesus is the only one who can turn it right side up again. And he, goes, he says things like, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You can't serve both God and money. Don't worry about your life and what you will eat or drink or about your body or about what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more valuable than they? Can you imagine being there the first time Jesus says that? Do not judge or you too will be judged. In the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What would it have been like to hear that for the first time? These are things that Jesus was saying. He was turning the world upside down. And we need them today just as much as we ever had. Jesus' teaching was amazing. And we lose it just based on mere familiarity. You know, it wasn't just that he was doing these incredible mighty acts of power. That was amazing. Even better is when he starts teaching and interpreting those acts of power and teaching us from his own lips. That's good too. That's amazing. But there was a third question that the many who were there that we're amazed, we're asking. And the third question is these. Where did this man get these things? Where did this man get these things? And I'm telling you, the King James has this one right. It's not where, it's whence. That's such a good word. We don't use it nearly enough anymore. Whence? From where? What is the source? What is the origin? Where, where is this teaching coming from? What is the ultimate? When you trace it all the way back, whence it comes? Because Jesus' teaching carried an authority 
that no one had ever seen before. And His mighty deeds testified to a power that no one had ever seen before. And both of these things point in one direction only. And that what is inferred in Mark's Gospel is taught explicitly in John's. Jesus is God Himself. Right, John begins, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Even Jesus' own lips in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, we looked at the front half of this earlier. The Jews were amazed at His teaching and said, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus actually answers them and says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the One who sent me. It comes from the Father. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God Well, they'll find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. What we see here is that Jesus had an authority that was amazing. His message came from God Himself. And that changes everything. It's one thing to say, oh, Jesus, He was such a good teacher. I like most of what He says. Well, some of it. Some of it's a little, a little extreme, so I'm going to ignore the rest of that. And that's totally okay to do if all He was is just another good teacher. But if He's God, well, suddenly we don't get as many options. Life following Jesus is less of a buffet from which we choose and, and select the dishes that we would like and suddenly there is an authority behind who Jesus is and what He does that doesn't leave us with nearly as many options for how to live our lives. And there's this strange paradox though that when we follow Jesus and everything He invites us into, there is a horizon of freedom that opens to us in terms of the human experience of life that is not available any other way. And I think the really amazing thing of all this is that everything that they were amazed at in Jesus' day is still amazing today. I mean, we talk about Jesus' power being amazing. His power is still available today. And His power is leveraged. He uses His power to seek out the broken and to heal and redeem and restore. The power of Jesus is available for your life today. His his teaching is still available. We have His Word right here. I've even got one where everything He says is in red letters. I mean, you can see at a glance what Jesus said. Grab a red letter Bible, sit back and be amazed. No, don't sit back. Lean into it and be amazed. Live into it and be amazed. Get into the Gospels. Get into the life of Jesus. He turns the world upside down. I need my world turned upside down. And we have the account of this great inversion right here. But Jesus' authority is still in force today as well. Because the Scriptures are not just another good book because of whence they came. This is where we remember that Jesus is not just a good teacher and this is not just a good book. Jesus is the good teacher. This is the good book. And if we're not careful, we miss out on the larger reality at play. 
that Jesus is God. And this is God's Word for us. In the Scriptures, we have the heart of God revealed. And we see it in the person and work of Jesus. And we see it in all of Scripture, which is God's story for us. You and I have been plopped right smack dab in the middle of God's story. We don't gather here every week to remember something that happened 2,000 years ago. We gather to live our chapter of the story that is still unfolding and that God will bring to complete com- completion. If you've been with us at Community Church for any amount of time, maybe you've seen the story of God where we were created to be in relationship with God. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2 is we broke it and messed it all up. Because we said, we like our way better, Lord. No thank you. The whole Old Testament is the story of God calling again and again, saying, return to me, return to me, return to me. And it's also the story of God's people again and again saying, no thank you, no thank you, and no thank you. The summary of all that is that we are rebellious. God lays claim to our lives as an authority. And we say, we don't like authority. So no thank you. then the most amazing thing happens. God says, well, if you can't fix the problem, I will. And Jesus comes and rescues us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. This this is insanely amazing. And if you've been a Christian for 30 years, for whatever reason, I, I don't know if it's just human nature, certainly the ongoing effects of sin as God continues to work out our salvation in us, But this becomes old hat somehow. How? Jesus loves us enough to save us from all of our brokenness and our rebellion. Rescues us. And then the story keeps going though, right? It's not just we remember 2,000 years ago that's what Jesus did. Because now we're in the process of being transformed and oh look, there's the hill and oh look, there's the pothole. This is the season of life we're in as we try and we are growing and being shaped and going through trials and hardships and suffering, but we are ever more being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. But that's not the end either because God has promised us one day that He will make a new heavens and a new earth. The old order of things will pass away. There will be no more crying or sorrow or, or death or pain. And God Himself will be with us. and We'll be with Him. This is the great story of God. These are the, this is the story that He's given us in the pages of His Word. And guess what? Bing! You are here. We're in the middle of it all. And it's not over yet. God is still speaking. He speaks to us through His Word. His Spirit illuminates the Word to us. His Spirit convicts us of sin. His Spirit draws us closer to Jesus. And we have the experience and the Word of the living God to teach us and convict us, to equip us and empower us for God's glory. And it's part of the reason we're doing this whole three-peat series where we take the same text week after week after week because this is so good! We don't want to just blow past it and miss stuff.
it is rich and full and relevant and personal and we want to slow down and delight in it and we want to listen to Jesus as he teaches and as he heals and as he saves and as he changes lives. So here's the best way to do that. Grab a friend and read it together. Literally, you can physically manhandle, grab them and say, read the Bible with me. Sir, I've, I've been a Christian a long time. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. And it's weird that those of us sometimes who've been Christians the longest are those who are most distant from the Word. Because even the Word gets old hat. The Lord is inviting you this morning to rekindle an amazement at just being in His Word. And having a chance to read it with somebody else. So grab a friend. Grab someone who's mentoring you. Grab your small group. What are we studying? How can we be reading it every day? I mean, this is what God even invites us to do, right? You go back all the way to Deuteronomy 6. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love Him with all your heart and soul and strength. These commandments that I give you today, this entire inscripturated life with God, it's to be on your heart. Impress it on your children. Talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and gates. Or get the app and download it from the store. This is the techie version of Deuteronomy 6. There's a little, if you've seen this version Bible thing, there's a hundred Bible apps out there. This one just happens to let you do, put up a reading plan it was Corey Ward who showed me this one. And he's, he's like reading something with his, with his cousin who's on the other side of the continent. But each day, they read the same passage and then they're talking back and forth about it. Asking each other questions. What does this mean? What does that look like in your life? Oh, here's what I'm going to try. What does it look like in yours? When we say that we want to be coming to Jesus again, and again. Why? Because if we're not careful, the Scriptures become an old rusty bicycle leaning against the back shed. A tool of tremendous freedom for they point us to the living God. But we neglect them. Or they take a beating because well, we've encountered some hills. We've run into some potholes. And sometimes the hills and potholes make us forget the freedom and the strength that God offers us through His Word. Are the Scriptures sitting in your back driveway rusting with a broken tie rod end? Or are you amazed that God in His wisdom for 2,000 years hasn't let His Word fade. That after 2,000 years, we still have it in our hands and on our phones. Are you amazed that His teaching is just as relevant today as it has been for 2,000 years? And that His Word has authority over our lives, not to limit our chaos, but to expose us to a horizon of freedom and value and the glory of God as we live lives that please Him and honor Him in any way. I, I implore you on Christ's behalf. Return to your first love. Amazing things, they can become less amazing. 
not because they are less amazing, but because we change. We get beaten up. We neglect. Be amazed with Jesus all over again. Dive into His Word. See these things as though you're seeing them for the first time. Read it again and again. Reflect on it over and over. Remember how amazing He is. And when you meet Him in His Word, your life will never be the same. Will you pray with me? What a setup, Lord. This is only two verses. But in two verses, you've thrown the entire Bible at us to remind us how amazing it is. You've put Jesus right in front of us to remind us how amazing He is and everything He taught is. And honestly, you've confronted us with ourselves in our need for the novel in our desire to play with that which is flight, bright and flashing and shiny. We confess to You, God, the ways that we neglect to hold You in esteem, to hold Your Scriptures in esteem. Honestly, the way that we, we toss away life with You as though, yeah, it's fine. So Holy Spirit, in this moment, we ask that You would invade Your people's lives. Break through the barriers that we've set up against us. Break past all of our woundedness and all of our busyness. We need Your power in our lives. We need Your teaching and wisdom in our lives. And we need Your authority in our lives. Bring all three together as we delight in who Jesus is, what He's done for us, and what He has offered us in terms of our ongoing life with You. We're going to miss out. I don't want to miss out on any of it. So God, protect us from thinking that all this just gets familiar over time. Polish up Your Word in our hearts that we might see how it shines. Delight in Your presence with us and live lives of God-glorifying obedience. In Jesus' precious name, amen.